I, I, day 283. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith. And remember, uh, this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right. So I'm hyped because uh, this was probably my favorite um, one to uh, read and work through as I was preparing for this podcast. Romans 5 through 8. So much in the text, bro. Uh, I literally told my wife <laughs> before I recorded, I was like, Babe, this might have been the best uh, piece of literature I've ever read. And I'm so dramatic, but I I really do kind of mean that. Um, Romans chapter five, we pick up (laughs) right where we left off. We talked about uh, Abraham and Sarah last time and how uh, Paul is in the text on these folks. Uh, We talked about the thesis statement, the revelation of God's righteousness, declared righteous. We talked about the problem. And now Paul is like, therefore, (laughs) no, no, he says, therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He sums up his argument up until this point. And from here, he will go on to explain the implications of justification. And the fact that we have peace with God, isn't this a merely subjective thing that Paul is trying to get at? He's speaking of shalom. Right. He's speaking of the fact that no, no, we were once enemies with him. And now there is this harmonious relationship that we can have with God. We are not uh, with at, 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 at uh, enmity with God anymore because of the work he has done in the person and work of christ and then he would go on to say that we rejoice or we will boast in the hope of the glory of god right and you know he's like the eternal glory right that god will share with us and our justification is actually a proof of this and he's like yo like no like we have this hope that we'll share in the glory the magnificence worth and grandeur of his perfections we rejoice even in affliction because all affliction can do is push us to endurance and endurance to proven character which leads to hope right and so uh he's like no like at the end of the day, like it changes how we actually live, right? It, it changes how we see the world. It changes how we view suffering. It changes how we view affliction. And he says, we know that this hope is not unfounded because of the fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts, right? The love of God. And he would go on to say, like, again, uh, this isn't just something uh, uh, that we subjectively claim, but it's something that is rooted in a real event, Right. Uh, he says, God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God proved it. God proved it. God proved it. God proved it. Right. Um, and I love where he goes next. 512 to 21 is uh, fire, 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 fire. Um, he sets up this parallel between Adam and Christ. And and this is one of the most uh, poignant points he can make at this point in the argument. Why? Because, again, if a Jew was to trace their spiritual heritage and lineage, uh, from from Abraham, based off of genealogy, Paul is saying, no, no, like, let me back up even further, right? Again, the problem is that um, some are saying, like, hey, we need Torah, right? And, and Paul is saying, no, 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 it's, you need Messiah, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Um, and so he's like, no, let me go back. Adam and Jesus, two representative heads of humanity. I remember one professor I had used to say, uh, God really only deals with people based on two people in history, right? Adam or Christ. And the analogy here he makes is brilliant. So he goes on. He says, no, no, no. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, right, and death through sin, uh, in this way, death spread to all people because all sin. In fact, sin was in the world before the law, but sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who do not sin in the likeness of Adam's transgression. He is a type of the coming one. So he's going to contrast the work of Adam, what Adam did, and the work of Jesus. And he moves down. And as he talks through this passage, you're going to see uh, basically in Romans 5, through seven, you're going to see sin presented as uh, a power 
and almost as a person. So, so sin is this power that has invaded, this has intruded into God's good and gracious, uh, beautiful world and acts as a, uh, tyrant as this as this personified personified tyrant slave master that we must be liberated from this is why he can say say that uh sin reigned right how could how could something that is abstract or 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 not like a person reign right so he's saying no no sin reigned but now the messiah but because of the messiah's reign right sin has been dealt with and uh yeah man he talks about um just all these things and how that sin uh, actually leads to something called death Right. And Christ is the one who comes through his death. Right. And uh, overdoes and undoes everything that Adam and sin cause. Right. And so in Romans chapter six, I love where he goes. He's like um, he has this diatribe formula of argumentation where he assumes the pushback once again. And it's like, oh, OK, like if, if the Messiah comes and Messiah's reign undoes sin's reign and we get to share in the Messiah's reign. Right then that means we're fine. That, we, that means we can just do what we want because of the grace, because of the work of, of Christ. And Paul is like, absolutely not. <laughs> Paul is going to say, no, no, in other words, like because of the fact that you are united with Christ, meaning that when he died, you died. And when he rose, you rose. Because of that very fact, your old self died to sin. And the body that was ruled, there's that language again, that kingly language again. The body that was ruled by sin has been rendered powerless so that we are no longer enslaved to sin. He says, in other words, you don't just share in the reign and rule of the Messiah in the abstract. You, you, you share in the triumph of the Messiah, in the triumph of the Messiah over sin. And one of the one of the significant realities of the resurrection, according to Paul, and over death. So, so one of the significant realities of, of, of the resurrection over Paul is that because of that very event uh, uh, that we... But because because we uh, because of, of Christ's uh, death and resurrection, we were very and, and we are united and sharing into that. We are involved in it and it enables us now to walk in a new way of life that actually pleases God. And I love it because the way he talks about salvation in chapter six is going to uh, be in light of the Exodus. So he talks about how uh, sin in verse six, he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that he uh, so that the body ruled by sin. Right might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is freed from sin then he goes verse 9 because we know that Christ having been raised from the dead will not die again death no longer rules over him for the death he died he died to sin once for all time but the life he lives he lives to God so you too <laughs> consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus therefore don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desire verse 14 for sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law but under grace in other words and he'll move on uh, to this in the in the back half of chapter six in other words what christ does for us in the gospel is he liberates us he frees us he redeems us he sets us free from our bondage to sin and we go from being servants and under the rule and reign of the tyrant of sin to being under the beautiful liberated loving life-giving reign of jesus christ we go from being servants of sin as he goes to servants of righteousness now it's so interesting because the Exodus fam is so good because that's the movement of the Exodus. They go from being servants of Pharaoh to being servants of Yahweh at Sinai, right? And and it's interesting because even in the Exodus, 
You know what they want to do? They want to go back, right? So right after they come out, Numbers 11, Numbers 14, Numbers 20, right? Over and over and over, even Exodus uh, 14. So they, they want to go back to Egypt. They want to go back to their sin. And Paul is so steeped in these narratives. He's using the same language to talk about what happened in the gospel. And he's like, no, no, no like, don't offer yourselves to sin. Why would you do that? He understands that we have this kind of spiritual Stockholm syndrome where we want to go back to our former oppression, right? And he's saying, like, to go back to your former oppression is to not realize that you've actually been set free, right? And so he he moves. He uses all these Exodus metaphors. He talks about sin as this power in this person that is invaded, that is intruded into the good creation, right? That was not part of the creation, but has intruded in death and, and how Christ comes and intrudes into the creation, right? At the end of time and, and, and fixes all this good stuff. And in Romans 7, he goes on and he comes to one of the most difficult interp to interpret passages in the entire Bible, which has plagued the best minds throughout church history. And I am not one of the best minds throughout church history, so I do not have the definitive interpretation. But one thing that governs this text is the idea, hear this, that the law is not the problem. You know what the problem is? You guessed it. Sin. <laughs> sin is the problem, right? Sin is the problem. And so he says this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you were also put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that you, we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, hear this, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit. So notice sin comes into the world. It doesn't just mean we do bad stuff. It means we are bad people, right? That we have this thing called flesh, right? Um, but now we have been released from the law. Since we have died to what held us so that we might serve in the newness of the what? The spirit and not in the old letter of the law. What Paul is saying, though, in relation to the law was not that there was a problem with it, but that there was a problem with us. Right. He's like, no, no, like we died now. Like the law didn't die, though. Right. We belong to Christ. And the result of being united to Christ and having this new nature he talked about results in a new life, one in which we produce fruit. Right. Anything that is living. Think about it for something to live for a plant or, or, or a tree to be alive mean it actually produces fruit. That's why he says uh, when we were in the flesh, in other words, we had before we had God's spirits, all the all the law could could do, bro, was aggravate the sin already in us. Right. And that sin would lead to death. Right. And so there was this like relationship. It was like, no, we have the law, but we have sin and the, the law only aggravates the sin with it. Right. It, it couldn't it couldn't help. It didn't help us because of what was in us. And so uh, it's so funny because when you get to 14 to 15, notice, 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 notice what it says. It says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. So does a slave to sin. So he says the law is good there. But even go back to um, 7, 7, 8. And sin sees an opportunity through the commandment produced in me covering of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Um, and he has another spot where he says sin is really good. Oh, the law is good. Verse 12. Uh, so then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. But when you go down to 17, so now I, I am no longer the one doing it, but it's the sin living in me. Verse 20. Now, if I do what I want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it's the sin that lives in me. Go to verse 23. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. So sin has come and infected his body. And he says in 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with my mind, I am self myself serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. So again, sin is the problem, but notice what he does in Romans chapter eight. Oh, so good. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? Why? Why, Paul? Why is there no condemnation? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin of death. 
what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh God did in other words Romans is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible <laughs> but in other words he, he starts with this phrase of no condemnation for those who are in Christ and what he points to with that phrase that small phrase is the key to Paul's theology if you want to understand Paul understand the fact that we're in Christ in literally with through Christ right participation or union with Christ theologians have called this right this is imperative for making sense of Paul in other words what he's saying is this he's saying in the first part of the chapter the law was incapable of addressing our greatest need the law could not condemn sin it couldn't it couldn't you know you know who had to do it and it couldn't set us it couldn't set us free from sin's dominion and from death god had to do it and and he did that in the personal work of christ who fulfills the righteous requirement of the law he says right and took the penalty penalty of law right and the point of christ taking on the humanity was so that the flesh we all have that is infected with sin could be we could be delivered from it and now we can fulfill the law's requirement how through the spirit so now he he he, he deals with the sin in us by putting the spirit in us right and notice from here on out in chapter eight and somebody pointed this out to me it's so hard notice in chapter eight once he starts talking about the spirit you don't see anything else about this power called sin right and he's gonna go in about the spirit he'll tell he'll use the word spirit 16 times in the first 17 verses right he's gonna say no 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 like like no 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 like um in order that the law's requirement will be fulfilled in us we do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit then he goes on he says he said their mindset on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit have the mindset on the things of the spirit now the mindset of the flesh is death but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace then he goes down verse 9 you however are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of god lives in you if anyone is if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him now if christ is in you the body is dead because of sin. but the spirit gives life because of righteousness right because of righteousness and if the spirit of like he goes in and in and in about the power of the spirit and he in in, in the spirit in jesus or, or or christ jesus christ uh they work so closely man after jesus' resurrection from the dead that um that that he can use the two even interchangeably and the point that paul is making bro again is that we share in the messiah's rule how by being engrafted and enfolded into the life of the messiah by the power of the holy spirit this is why the spirit is the spirit of Christ and it results in a new mindset a new walk and a new way of life right so this sharing in the Messiah's rule has an has a has has practical implications for our day-to-day -day life and, and and remember if we are engrafted into the Messiah notice that we have to traverse the same route the same way as the Messiah so he so he says no no just as the Messiah went from suffering to glory notice that you will too for i consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us and this is even the proof that we are engrafted into the life of the messiah the righteous one right and i've said this before i think with romans 8 18 paul is saying like no 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 if you're engrafted into the messiah know that the depth of your disappointment in this life will be no match for the height of god's blessing that you will receive in the next right paul will go on to talk about why everything he said of us is true right now we still grow we still grow in this tent the creation groans the spirit in us groans right because everything in the universe desires for the new creation to be liberated from the bondage to decay right the glorification of our actual bodies notice as one theologian has said we received a resurrection in our bodies so we can walk newness of life but one day we will receive the resurrection of our bodies right as we talked about in uh first corinthians 
And then the restoration of the entire world, the world will reach this glorified state that the, that the Messiah is already in. And Paul will say, you know, like at the end of the day, like this renewal of our bodies is the goal of our adoption, right? Meaning as sons and daughters of God, going back to uh, chapter one, right? We are God's sons and daughters, but our sonship and our daughtership to say, it, uh, to say it that way will be complete when we are fully formed into the likeness of his only son and those he predestined verse 30 he also called and those he called he also justified and those he justified he also glorified this is what uh, many theologians have called the golden chain of salvation it's the order of salvation and it's funny because he can speak of all these things as being already done right they're as good as done right according to god and in a sense they've already taken place in god's economy right but we've just yet to experience it and he says that nothing 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 in the universe can separate us from these things. And according to this text, what Paul is ultimately saying, fam, nothing in life can stop God from giving us the best things he has for us. You know why? It's because of his love for us. Let's pray. God, we ask that we will remember that we share in the Messiah's rule and reign, Lord. I pray that we will really believe that the best things you have for us that nothing can stop you because of